with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to attempt, when we say this, we're going to attempt to finish it. 2 Timothy chapter 4. You'll remember with me that Paul has been writing from the Mamertine prison. And he's not just in, you know, uh, you know this isn't county jail. This is solitary confinement. This is uh, death row. So he's in a dark place in his life. But I want to just kind of encourage you that in the midst of his dark place, he writes some of the most encouraging words to young Timothy. He's not bitter. He's not upset. He actually begins the letter in chapter 1 by saying this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, someone who was sent by Jesus, by the will of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So when he later talks about being in prison, he says, you know what, I'm in prison, but it's according to God's plan. God foreordained that I would be in jail. Now, how many of you guys pray that one day you could be in jail according to the will of God? Yeah, me neither. But Paul didn't see it as, man, life's got me down and circumstances and Satan. He didn't look at it like that. He said, you know what? I'm in jail. I'm in prison right now for doing good. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. It wasn't sin that got him in jail. It was actually living for the kingdom of God. And so as he's in jail, he's using his time wisely. He knows he's on death row. He knows he has people that are on the outside still, and he wants to make sure that he says a final word to them. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 1 through 5 to review, Paul gave Timothy a charge. You know what a charge is? A charge is what a, a commanding officer gives to his soldiers before they go out on the battlefield. He gives them some sort of brave heart, like, go for it kind of speech. He gives them the go team speech that a coach would give to football players. And so he says, I charge you, therefore, be before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and, a long -suffering and teach, with long-suffering and teaching. Be patient with them. Be teaching them always when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. And then as he says this, he says, the time will come when some will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will have itching ears and they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth. Now, he gives him a charge. He says, preach the word of God. He doesn't say, get on your hobby horse. He doesn't get, say, get on your soapbox and preach your opinion. He says, make sure you teach fully the word of God. And that is why we spend the bulk of our services going through the word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because you guys don't need to hear what I think. You need to hear what the word of God says. And many people will say, yeah, go for it. That's easy to say until the word of God starts saying things that are not popular in our society. So the question becomes, he, he says there, a time will come. He says, keep preaching the word, but know this, that a time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine. They won't endure good teaching. The word sound doctrine there literally means hygienic doctrine or hygienic teaching. And the word is clean or healthy. Now, a well-balanced diet. So I put for there, there for you the, the food pyramid that they had when I was growing up. 
Now, they've changed that thing. It's got different dimensions now, but it's the same. It's a well-balanced diet. So why would anyone not listen to good teaching? And I put there for you because it rebukes us. How many of you, like me, like to be told when you're wrong? Yeah, me neither. I like to be told all the time you're doing great because when I'm told I'm doing great, then I feel good about me. But the problem is, is that many things that are going on in my life sometimes, they need to be corrected. They need to be rebuked. I need to be disciplined by my Heavenly Father. And He uses His Word to do that. He confronts my ungodliness. He confronts my fleshliness by me continually subjecting myself to what the Holy Spirit would teach me through what it says. And so a well-balanced diet is something that we do not naturally like. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus said to his disciples there, I'm going to look it up so I don't misquote it and make it sound better than it is. John chapter 3, page turners, kind of rusty after last week being off. John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but instead have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the thing that condemns people. Jesus speaking here says this is the condemnation. This is what separates us from God. Condemnation pushes us away from God. Conviction brings us to God in repentance. So he says this is the condemnation. This is the thing that separates us from God that the light has come into the world and that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So if you ever want to know why someone doesn't want to listen to the word of God, it's because their deeds are evil. And we oftentimes hear things like this and we go, we apply this to the unbeliever. But here's the deal, we are not there yet. <laughs> we are saved, but there are still some things practically that God's trying to work out in us and we need to continually come to the buffet, the the good doctrine, the, the, the solid food of the word of God so that we can be cleansed, so that the darkness that we continue to kind of harbor in our lives can be shined on, and it's uncomfortable, but it's also uncomfortable when someone has cancer and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, you have cancer and it's going to kill you, but you cannot get treatment unless you know you have the ailment, Right? And so God is good enough to shine his light onto our hearts and show us how insidiously dark and nasty they are because he loves us. He doesn't want us to die of the cancer that is sin. Sin will kill you if it is harbored. And so Paul says, continue to teach the word. Let the word do the work that it does. Convince, rebuke, exhort with patience and teaching for the time will come when they will heap teachers to themselves they will gather around themselves teachers that will say good things and encouraging things and only that you know like feeding your kids candy instead of milk and good healthy food and he says they will turn their ears away from the truth and they will be turned aside to fables but you be watchful don't worry about them you be watchful in all things endure afflictions 
and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So he says, don't just teach those who are in the church, but do the work of an evangelist. Proclaim the truth in your workplace. Proclaim the truth with your coworkers or with your family members. Don't be silent when the silence needs to stop. If there's anyone that needs to be silent, it's the father of lies. It's those who proclaim lies, but they will not be silent. So we need to speak louder. And so um, he says there, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul says, I've done these things, and it didn't necessarily go well for me. He said, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Now he's writing to people that would still be aware of the Old Testament principles and the offerings that would be made. And one of the things that they would do is they would take a drink offering, and essentially they would pour it on the altar. That drink offering, you can't gather it back and eat it or drink it. It's gone. But that aroma that comes up, you ever pour water or some sort of liquid onto hot stones or onto uh, your barbecue grill? Maybe you've poured barbecue sauce onto onto the meat that you're cooking, and the barbecue sauce kind of drips around the side, and it lands on the charcoal. And up from that comes the sweet smell of barbecue and charcoal briquettes and fire and smoke and it's like it all kind of ruminates into this this tasty meal you're about to eat it's savory it's it's wonderful Uh, maybe you guys aren't as excited about barbecue as i am but the lord i believe that when that smoke comes up from our our lives being essentially burned away by us being on fire for jesus that smell that aroma even if no one else notices it God notices it as an offering that's pleasing before his throne. The idea of them making offerings on the... Can you imagine what it was like to go to Jerusalem in the days where they would make all these sacrifices? It says that Solomon made a sacrifice offering of like 3,000 bulls. That much meat being cooked? Can you imagine all the people surrounding going, Man, who is barbecuing today? You know, And in the meantime, it wasn't for a person. This was all being offered up as an offering to God, who is the supplier of all good gifts. And so Paul looks at his life, and he doesn't see him being in prison and him being in isolation as a waste. He sees it as a a burnt offering before the Lord. And he actually wrote there in uh, Romans chapter 12, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable before God. And uh, so this friend of mine, I met him when we went to Israel a couple years, uh, last year. And when we went, I got to meet him, and he had this desire to go and plant a church. He had, he had been a pastor at a church for a while, and then he felt like God was calling him to Logan, to Utah. So in Utah, it's 99% Mormon. So uh, if you're new and, and you don't understand this, Mormons are not Christians. It's a cult. It's, it's not the truth. They do not worship the same Jesus that we do that's revealed in Scripture. But aside from that, he's going there and they're planting a church there. We're going to support them as a church, by the way. But as they've gone out there, um, what he told me was that, um, that as he was, I forgot my point in sharing that. It seemed to tie together at the time. 
a little ADD sprinkled in there. But, but they're going out there to, sh to share the gospel with these people. And, um, yeah, I really forgot what I was going to say about that. I'm sorry. I apologize. So, uh, anyway, so Paul, here he is. He's in chains. And he's in prison. And he's writing to Timothy. And as he's writing to Timothy, he says, uh, verse 9, be diligent to come to me. Oh, that's, so Paul knows his time is short, and he doesn't want Timothy to be discouraged. That's, that's the main point I wanted to make. He doesn't want Timothy to be discouraged. So in verse 9, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And this is the same Luke. He's a doctor who wrote the, the gospel according to Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And he had traveled with Paul for some time now. He says, Luke is the only one that's still with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for ministry. And I think it's interesting that he writes about Mark, because here Paul is, he's basically alone. Everybody that has meant something to him has departed from him in his imprisonment. And yet he calls out and he says, bring Mark to me. I want to talk to him. Well, if you remember with me, in the first missionary journey, Paul went out and he took some people with him, and Mark got about a third of the way through the missionary journey, and he didn't have what it took, and he left them. He's like, I can't take it, it's too hard, and he left. And so at that point, when they get ready to take their second missionary journey, they're getting together a group of, of men to go, and, and Mark wants to go, and Barnabas, who is a friend of Mark, says, hey, why don't we bring Mark? And, and Paul goes, no, he left us last time, I got no use for him. He, he said, I can't, I'm not taking people that are faint at heart, I want to go and I want to stay on the journey. Now, the blessing of that is that Barnabas got mad at Paul for not wanting to take Mark. There's a little bit of, you know, daytime, you know, daytime television, everybody's, you know, a little drama. But because of that, instead of one missionary group going out and sharing the gospel, you end up having Paul go with his group, and then you end up having Barnabas go with a completely different group. So, you know, what Satan probably meant to get in between them and discourage them both from going caused them to have two missionary journeys going. At the same time, the work multiplied. So as Mark is kind of been dejected or discouraged perhaps by Paul, later on in life, Paul goes, you know what? Maybe I need to show grace to Mark. Mark, even though he did back away, he was willing to go. And so he has this change of heart about Mark, and he says, I want you to, uh, to bring Mark to me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For look at this. He is useful to me for ministry. That word useful means profitable. He's a profitable servant. And can you imagine if Mark gets to read this letter that he's written to Timothy? This letter wasn't meant to just be for Timothy. It was meant for the whole church to read. Can you imagine if he saw those words and he goes, oh man, Paul's not mad at me anymore. It'd be kind of like ointment and encouragement. So he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus, or Tychicus, however you want to say it, I have sent to Ephesus. And I wonder if Tychicus was actually the one that carried this letter because at the time, Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus. Then he says, Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. So even Paul forgot stuff. Paul was traveling all over the place. He forgot his coat. He forgot his 
Bible, you know, he was traveling, and he said, you know, just a practical note, would you bring to me the things that I left there uh, with you? And then he gives a word of warning in verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. But he says this, not just to slander, but to look at Timothy and say, watch this, you also must be aware, beware of him, for he has greatly resisted the truth, the words that we've proclaimed. So watch out for him. He's, he might be a, a trap. He might be somebody that'll come in and say, hey, I want to help you, but he'll actually be someone who will cause problems in the church. He says, beware of him because he has rejected the truth. So at my first defense, verse 16 says, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So I have for you here in verse 9 through 16, Paul is forsaken by his friends. These are people he's ministered to. These are people that he's uh, shared in trials with. These are people just like Jesus who walked with many of these disciples for years. And yet at a certain time, many of them left him because unless, he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part in me. And many people heard what he said and they were like, I'm out. This is weird. And then he looked at Peter and he said, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter said, what? He said, uh, no, far be it from us to leave you. You're the one that has the words of life. You're that. No, we're not going to leave you. But what you find out later is that when Jesus continually tells them, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be killed for the lost sheep of Israel, they're like, okay, you know, but no, far be it from you. And even in that same instance, Peter said to him, far be it from you, you will not be killed. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for your purposes are not of God, they're of Satan. And so at that point, we find out that slowly over time, Peter kind of starts getting a little less hands-on with Jesus. And on the night of his betrayal, who stayed with Jesus? Not one of them. Not one of the 12 stayed with Jesus. You know, take aside Judas Iscariot, who went and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. They to he told him where they could find Jesus and capture him. But then even Peter says, well, if everybody else forsakes you, I'll stick around. And Jesus said, I'm praying for you because you're not going to stick around. Satan longs to sift you like wheat, and yet I'm praying for your restoration. So at that point, Peter should have responded, but I don't know that I would have. You know, if someone that I was following for three years gets killed, I, I think I'm going to get scared too and probably try to hide. But what we find is that Paul can identify with Jesus and the sufferings of Jesus, not only the, the pain of he eventually is going to get his head cut off, but also the fact that he experienced loneliness. And if there's one thing that Satan can do in our lives is he can tempt us, but in our temptation he will make us feel like we are the only ones experiencing this sort of oppression. And I experienced that this la late last week. God was uh, encouraging me, and, and, and some things from my past came up, and I was discouraged, and I felt like if I shared it with anybody that was close to me, that they wouldn't be able to relate. But the cool thing was that God gave me the faith to share it with those who were closest to me, and they were the greatest encouragement. Satan wants us to feel alone in the battle. God wants to remind us weekly, daily, moment by moment, that we're not the only ones. You know, that's a big purpose of gathering weekly. That's a big purpose of 
Getting together with Christians as often as there is an opportunity to stir each other up. And I know that we don't all have that opportunity. Some of us work on the road. Some of us work on Sundays. You know, but when you have opportunity, take the time to make it a priority. Our family life, the way that Kelly and I do things, doesn't make sense to most of our family. Because if the doors are open on the church, we're there. Not just because I'm pastoring. Not just because Kelly helps with children's church and leads worship with me but because it's such a priority because we know that things are going to come up and we need the daily, the moment-by-moment reminder that we're not alone in temptation, that God is bigger, that his people all go through these things together. And so what I want to point out is that Paul recognized that no one stood with him. Verse 16, he says, No, at first, at my first offense, when he was put to trial, perhaps before he went into solitary confinement on death row, he says, at my first defense, look at this, the great apostle Paul in the early church, he says, no one stood with me. I was alone. No one stood with me. They all forsook me. All the people that loved me the most in my hour of greatest need, they were gone. They gone. And I was left alone, he says. But look at this, just like Jesus on the cross, he said, may it not be charged against them. His heart was not to harm them or discourage them or experience or express bitterness. He says, may it not be charged against them. But then look at verse 17. But the Lord stood with me. If you've ever experienced loneliness, if you've ever felt like you were the only one going through something, those are the moments that we don't pray for, right? We don't. We don't want those. But those are the moments where we get to experience the sweetness of fellowship with Jesus himself. Maybe your spouse has let you down recently. Maybe your kids are driving you nuts. Maybe your job is letting you down. It's not as exciting or as enjoyable as it used to be. Maybe you don't have free time for just about anything. Maybe you can't sleep at night. Here's the thing. None of you are praying for that, right? But in the midst of that, Jesus wants to use those moments where everything else that you trust in lets you down so that you can find the sweetness that it is to be one-on-one with him. That, that peace that you can't get in any other circumstance in life can be found in the promise that Jesus made. Jesus made a commandment in Matthew chapter 28. Probably getting ahead of my notes, but in Matthew chapter 28 and in Mark chapter 16, as he was getting ready to ascend to the Father, to heaven, right in front of the eyes of the apostles, he is getting ready to ascend, and he, he looked at the men and he said, all authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. He said, go ye therefore, in the light of the fact that I have authority to say this, he said, go ye therefore, old King James, because that's what Jesus spoke, go therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He said, and if you will do this, he says, then teach them to obey all the things that I, Jesus, have commanded you. And those are the things that we focus on, right? The the to-do list. We're good at that. We're Americans. We like to write a list down and get the things accomplished. But what we miss out on is the promise that's attached to the commandment. He says, and lo, Pay attention is the word, what the word low means. Behold, I am with you. I am with you. 
Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of our souls, the Lord of all creation, says to you and I, I am with you. I don't know about you, but when I'm discouraged, I don't experience, I don't feel the presence of God, but He promised, and therefore it is so. He is with us. In those passages that we all remember at Christmas time, God with us, Emmanuel. The, the, the beauty of it was not that he was going to bring, pre, bring peace on earth right then. The beauty of it is that he left heaven to be with us. And when he left at his ascension, he says, I promise you I will send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit now resides within us. And so even when we are alone, even when we are separated from the people that we hold dear, even when no one gets what we're going through, God says, I am with you. And what does Romans at chapter 8 say? If God is with us, then who can be, what can be against us? Neither famine, nor sword, nor trial, nothing can be against us when God is for us. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning. The Apostle Paul did not have everything perfect in his life. And yet what we find out is he says, the Lord stood with me. Why did the Lord stand with him? Because he needed him. Because he promised he would. And notice this, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message, here's the so that, therefore, he says, I experienced that the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me for these purposes. And I believe that the Lord has promised to be with us and to strengthen us for his purposes, not necessarily our own. If you feel worn out because of the purposes you feel driven to do, perhaps you need to wait upon the Lord to strengthen you to do those. And if he doesn't strengthen you to do the ones that, that you're getting worn out doing and you just cannot get a, above the curve, you just always feel like you're on empty, perhaps you need to spend more time with him to do the thing he's called you to do. And in some cases, perhaps those are things that he did not call you to do. Sometimes God weeds things out of our lives that he really didn't give us. But then he says, he strengthened and he stood with me so that, here's the reason, so that the message might be preached fully through me, so that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, he says, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord deliver me, will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul's getting ready to be put to death. I mean, he knows that. But what he knows is that even if he is put to death, that God is able to preserve him. You know, Jesus even said, he said, you know, why do you fear man who can only destroy the body? It is better to have a fear of the Lord who can destroy the body and the soul. Man can only, man can only kill this thing. He can't kill who you are. He cannot kill uh, the soul. That's for God and his judgment. And so he says, don't fear them, but fear me. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's still expressing the glory of the Lord. So he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. 
The Lord stood with him and strengthened him. And then he says about those who abandon him, may it not be charged against them. So I want to point out to you something that's interesting. The character of Jesus, as Paul gets squeezed, Jesus comes out. Paul has every excuse to make all kinds of fuss and complain. And instead, what comes out of him is praise and honor and glory to the one who allowed, at the very least, the circumstances to happen. And I want to take you really quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because in there, as I was reading this passage, I thought about what Paul had written to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes there about the gospel being implanted in his heart. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. He says, we are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We're not left alone. Struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested or revealed in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so then, death is working in us, but life in you. He says, God allows trials so that when we are pressed in on and squeezed and cracked, he, he compares our lives to clay vessels. And if you've ever squeezed a clay vessel, it's brittle, right? And when it's cracked, what happens is whatever's in it comes out the edges. And if Jesus is truly the light that is within us, He's truly the oil that we contain, the Holy Spirit. When we are cracked, what out comes out of us is Jesus. What comes out of us is the Holy Spirit. What comes out of us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Galatians chapter 6, the fruit of the Spirit dwelling in us. And so he says, God allows these things so that others would see the light within us. That these Meaning, feeling like cursing, feeling like trials that are forsaken by God are actually blessings so that the world will see that our faith is something that goes beyond when everything's fine. So, Paul writes a few closing remarks in verse 19. He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila. And they've been mentioned in the book of Acts. Priscilla and Aquila. And the, the household of Onesiphorus. Uh, he was, the, oh, he was uh, the slave that was owned by Philemon that we studied if, several weeks back. And then Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus, and he is sick. Do your utmost to come to me before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So he closes... Um, he's, he doesn't get bitter and complain. He spends his time praying for, encouraging, and writing to Timothy. And he shares a few final thoughts and a blessing. And I wrote down for you this morning, his final thoughts to Timothy before his death are actually about others. He, he's still thinking about the people that he's going to leave behind. He's not worried about himself. He knows he's getting ready to go to glory. He's going to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. No more sorrow. No more pain, no more darkness weighing down on him. 
No more trials, no more battle. He's, his battle is fought. He says, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I love that verse because um, Pastor Chuck, who started the Calvary Chapel movement, I was reminded of this this week. He said, uh, people used to ask him all the time, do you believe in once saved, always saved? And I like his answer. He said, yes, I do believe in once saved, always saved, as long as we continue in the faith. You know, we have a part in that being saved day by day. It can't just be an I'm saved, and I'm, I said a prayer at, at uh, Bible camp when I was a kid. It has to, we have to continue in it. We have to keep taking steps forward of obedience. And so he says, uh, he, he has these last thoughts about these people that, that he loves. And so I, ha- I, I have up there for you Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 as we close. Because I, I had to sit there and think about the fact that the Apostle Paul is in jail. He's getting ready to have his head lobbed off. I know that that's kind of uh, dark, but I mean, that's, the rea- that's his reality he's living in. And I wonder how he dealt with that in the daily. Because, you know, I'm sure it wore on him as he got ready to be killed. But in Philippians chapter 4, he had written this to the Philippian church. In verse 8, he said, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything that's praiseworthy, he said, meditate on these things. The things that you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He he says in verse 6, right before that, he had admonished them. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by your prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And so as we close and we get ready to take communion this morning, I want to ask a few thought-provoking, hopefully, questions. If no one else is around, like Paul experienced this loneliness, if no one else is around you and following Jesus, will you still follow him? Will you do it, will you doing, man, I, I don't know what I was writing there. Will you do what he has given you to do, even though none go with you? You know, that old hymn says, though none go with me, still I will follow. Paul's writing here, he's still following Jesus, even though nobody's around him. Is Jesus' promise to be present with you enough for you? When you get squeezed, do the characteristics of Jesus come out of your life as you get squeezed? Or do sinful attitudes come out of you? I, I have to say, I asked this question this week, uh, not because I'm trying to point it at you, but because this week I got squeezed a little bit and a lot of bad attitudes came out of me because it's what was in me. God allows and uses circumstances to show us who we really are. What have you been finding out lately that you really are? What are your reactions to life's circumstances revealing to you about you? And then my last question for you is, what are you going to do about it? So my questions aren't necessarily to make you feel condemned. They're actually meant to cause you to think and to make an action plan. And let me encourage you this week 
make your action plan, your first action to go to God and repent. We all need that. That's where cleansing comes from, 1 John 1, 9. But as you repent, ask God to change your heart. Ask Him to remind you practically in some way of His presence that He's promised. Whether it feels like it or not, He is present with you. And so, as we get ready to take communion, maybe there's a question in there that God's highlighting for you. Think about it. Pray about it. And we're going to uh, I'm going to play a song. I say we. It's going to be me. I'm going to play a song this morning. And as the Lord leads, as we're singing through the song, I want you to come up, take the elements, and then I'll lead you through communion after the song. <laughs>